And if you are a guest here with us, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about our church, because we exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nation. That is our vision, that is our mission, that is our purpose, that is our goal, right? We want to glorify God in every area of our life, but the way we do that is by making more and better disciples. And our goal, our finish line, is that we would do that from neighborhoods to nations. And so this is a little bit of, of who we are. We hope that you'll stick six weeks with us if you are a guest so we can get to know who you are. And one of the passions that we have is getting the gospel from neighborhoods to nations. So we have an event coming up called City Serve Kids. This is a small way in which we want to serve our local neighborhood. And we have got a partnership with four local schools in our area that uh, this is not just a one-time event where we drop off some backpacks and we leave or we do some landscaping and we leave. We actually have um, teachers that work at these schools and administrators that are there. And we have students that are a part of these schools. And so this is a chance for us just to make one big impact. And then every month we're impacting these schools in different ways from su- supplies, giving it to teachers, or just going there and visiting and praying for administrators. We have a bunch of different ways to do that. So we're grateful for those who are a part of our church that are at these schools serving, being a light in this area. But I invite you, even if you don't have kids to go to these schools or you're not connected to these schools in any way, connect through this event. City Serve Kids is extremely important. We've got, like I said, four schools. Two of them we're going to do a massive block party at where we're going to have bounce houses and provide some food. And this is where we're actually going to give out the school supplies for uh, families and kids in need. And that's where we need you to hop online and uh, to register and to buy some of these supplies that go to these families in need. We can't do that apart from you guys giving to that event, but we also need you to volunteer to be there that day to hand it out to these families and these students. And for others of us, we might be like, well, I'm a little more introverted. I don't feel as comfortable like going out and maybe doing bounce houses and all that stuff. Then serve in one of the other two schools that we're partnering with doing landscaping. If you can throw mulch out, uh, put some flowers in the ground, things like that, we'd love for you to, to sign up for one of those. And this isn't everything that we do to serve our community, but this is one piece of how we do it. And let me just say, as far as raising the supplies, it does not get any easier for you. We didn't even have to bring any in this year. On our website, you can look and find our Amazon uh, list, and then when you click the things to buy, it'll send it straight here to the church, so you don't have to mess with it at all. We made it as easy as possible. We just need you to continue to, to be generous to give and to provide for this event. And I hope that you'll be able to be there on August 12th to serve and impact that, that uh, school and those schools in very real and tangible ways. So we're going through this series of Praying the Bible, and in this series, we the last several weeks looked at kind of more inward prayers, prayers more personal for us, prayers of when I'm going through sorrow and suffering, how do I pray? Or, or prayers of while I'm waiting on the Lord to move, how do I pray and respond to that? Or if I need strength to understand things that, that I can't understand about God's will and God's way, this is the way I pray. But starting this week and the next several weeks, we're actually going to turn from an inward personal prayer focus to an outward prayer focus, because God desires both, right? Both for His church as we live on mission for Him, but also in our prayer lives, that we would pray for ourselves, but we'd also turn outwardly and pray for others. So today we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, go ahead and grab your Bible and make your way there. And this is a, a whole section that, that Paul, the author of uh, 1 Timothy, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has placed in here for us to understand how to pray for others. And so my hope and my desire is that as we walk through these seven verses this morning, we're able to answer 
two questions. Two questions this morning. The first question is this, is who do we pray for? And the second is why do we pray for them? Who do we pray for and then why do we pray for them? So let's start in verse 1 and see what God's word would say to us this morning. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Pray with me this morning. Patient Lord, we confess even sitting here this morning that we are a busy people. That our minds are busy on so many different things. Our minds are filled on work busyness. Our minds are filled with things going on in our family. Will we confess that our minds are even busy on pains that we have, health issues that we may have? Our minds are even filled with even the pleasures of this life that will consume our time and our thoughtfulness. But Lord, in this prayer, as we come to your word, we know that there is no better thought than you. There's no better use of our time than to glorify you. And so we need a word from you today. We need you to equip us for work and rest so that in both we could honor and glorify you. We need you to help us today to pray in a way that is good and pleasing in your sight. So we ask you'd open our minds to understand the scripture this morning so that we can live it out in faith and in truth this week. Now let me invite you in this silence to pray something similar to God, that he would speak to you through his word today. Would you pray and ask him to do that? Would you also please uh, pray for me? That as we walk through this passage in First Timothy, that God would help me to explain, explain this clearly and serve you well this morning. Would you pray for me? Lord Jesus, we are your servants, and so give us understanding that we may know your testimonies and keep them for your glory and for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, two questions. First question, who should we pray for? And I hope you were able to see it in this passage. It's right at the beginning. It's clear. It's easy for you to pick up, but it's all people. And, and be clear, it's definitely talking about praying for these people. 
It uses four words, kind of interchangeable words, to talk about prayer and request to the Lord in verse 1. That he urges, he begs, he's pleading. This isn't a command, this is a begging. Would you believers do this? I urge you in supplications, in prayers, and in intercessions, and in thanksgiving. These four words are all kind of bound together to talk about praying. Praying. And I love what the author Paul does with this because the very first words of, of this chapter are, first of all then. Now, this is humorous because there's a big two beside this statement, right? This is chapter two of this book of 1 Timothy. But it starts and it says, first of all. Like, there's a whole chapter before this. And then he gets to chapter two and he's like, and the first thing is this. Like, what are you talking about? We need to know what all of chapter one is about and then why you started here saying, first of all. Well, if you read chapter 1, and I would encourage you to, if you're trying to like read the Bible this year and you don't know where to start, like start here in, in 1 Timothy and maybe read the first chapter into the section that we're going through today. But in chapter 1, it's going to lay out the, the plea of the church to, to run from sin and to find salvation in God. Actually, chapter 1 is basically the, the gospel kind of expounded in some different ways. But it comes down to the root of their sin and we need a Savior. And then Paul's going to charge the church in Ephesus that he's writing this letter to, okay, knowing what the gospel is, knowing how you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then you've got to do these things. You've got to share this good news. But that's not where he starts, is it? He starts with praying for others. Know the gospel. Be saved and changed by the gospel. And then pray, first of all. Pray for all people, for all people. Now, I don't think when he says that in this verse, all people, I don't necessarily think he's saying, I want you to pray for every individual person in the world. Like the application for us today is, let's see if we can find a list of the seven billion people, or however many there are, in the world, and like pray through a laundry list of names of people that we don't know. I, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Nor do I think when he says pray for all people, he's saying let's just pray some kind of broad and sweeping prayer that, God, would you just bless all the people of the world everywhere? Like, I don't think that's what he's talking about. Instead, the, the picture of pray for all people is pray for all kinds of people. Not just a selective group of people, but that our prayers as believers should be filled with diversity. We should be praying for others. Your prayer and my prayers should be for all different kinds of people. We should be praying for believers. We should be praying for unbelievers. We should be praying for the rich. We should be praying for the poor. We should be praying for different ethnicities, different nationalities, different backgrounds and demographics. We should be praying diverse prayers. We should not be praying these elitist prayers for only people that maybe look like us or sound like us or have the same thoughts as us. No, this is a prayer for all people, church. So I would encourage you even now to examine your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? Who are the people that you're praying for? Are they only people within your family? Are they only people that look just like you? 
Diversify your prayers. I would encourage all of us to do this, to pray for others. Let us pray for Muslims. Let us pray for Hindus. Let us pray for Buddhists that they would come to know the one true God. Let us pray for our nation of America, but pray for nations around the world. Let us pray for a group of people that we get along with and a group of people that we may not see eye to eye with. Oh, that we, we at a, as a church in West Cabarrus, that we would have the heartbeat of prayer that is diverse, not elitist. Oh, that we would pray for all people. One thing I would love for us to do as a church at some point, this idea that I've had years back, and I've done it individually, but I love for us to do it corporately, is like, if you're trying to think, God, God, I want to pray for the nations, I want to pray for the world, but like, how in the world do I do that? Well, next time the Olympics come on, watch the open ceremony. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you'll start to realize, be like, where's that nation? Who are these people? How are they in the Olympics? Like, you're like, who are all these people, right? This is a great chance. This is a prayer list for you to say, no, I want to pray for these nations. God calls us to pray for all people. And so, yes, I don't know where this country is, but I'm still going to pray for these people. As you, as you see them walk out and you see their face and you see their flag, all that maybe next time the Olympics are here, we get to pause and just pray for the nations. I don't know what it looks like for you to tangibly do that. That's just one idea. But I would encourage us as a church to be obedient to what God has called us to do, to pray for all people. And if that's too broad for you, one, you still need to do it because God has commanded it to us. But in verse 2, it's going to kind of narrow it down a little bit. It'll be like, okay, what's the baby step? What's the first step as I start to pray for all people? In verse 2, it says, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that they may lead peaceful and quiet life. Pray for kings. Pray for leaders around us. Which, once again, let's just pause and Examine our prayer life. Let's just be honest and real for a second. And once again, if you're not a, a Christian, I'm not talking to you because how can you pray to the God that you don't believe in? But for us who are Christians, who claim the name of Christ and follow him, are we praying for our leaders? God's telling us that we should. Examine your prayer life. Think about it. When's the last time you've prayed for President Biden or Vice President Harris? When's the last time you've lifted them up to the throne of God? When's the last time you've prayed for our governor, Roy Cooper? When's the last time you've prayed for our senators, Tom Tillis or Ted Budd? Maybe those are a little too far out there. Maybe even right here in Concord. Do you even know who our mayor of Concord is? Are you praying for Bill Dush? Are you praying for him? God's Word is telling us to pray for these people. When's the last time you played, prayed for the person who leads the company that you work for? When's the last time you prayed for your boss or the pastors here at this church? People that lead, are your prayer lives filled with this? Or maybe one day a week you, you pause and you specifically pray for leaders. Are you praying for these people? Now, I know that some of you might be thinking, well, Ryan, I don't pray for them because I don't agree with them. Right? Like, I don't agree with some of their positions. I don't agree with some of their politics. And so I'm not going to pray for them. I'll pray for the people that line up with where I am, but not people that disagree. Well, let me just say, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't pray for them because I, I, I struggle to agree with them, then you are in great company, okay? Paul, the person who wrote this, didn't agree with all the policies that Nero was putting in place. He didn't agree with all the things that were being put in place. At that time in Rome, he didn't. 
Actually, Paul's probably writing this from a prison cell as he prays for the leaders that put him there. Literally, the leader of Rome at that time, Nero, was taking Christians alive and dunking them in the tar, killing them, and then using them as candles in his house. Paul's praying for that guy. Paul's praying for this guy that would ultimately be the one that takes his life. We aren't there, okay? So if, if Paul can pray for them at this time, then we can certainly pray for our leaders, even though we disagree with them at different times over different positions, right? Does that make sense? Just because we say we don't agree with them doesn't excuse us from lifting up their name in prayer. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? Even if they're our enemies or even if they persecute us, in, in, in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I'm just going to say, if that's your excuse of why you don't pray, then you need to come back to the words of Christ. Remember, he's called us to pray for those who we even consider our enemies, those who would persecute us, that we would pray for others as God has called us to pray for others. Now, what do we pray for them? <laughs> like, right, I, don't even, I don't even know what to pray if I was going to pray for these different leaders. Well, what's, what's interesting is Paul doesn't go through like a long list of like, here's five things, there's ten things to be able to pray for your leaders. But I think he gives us two that we can see in this passage. One is wisdom. The other is salvation. That God would bring wisdom to our leaders and salvation to them. If you look at the end of verse 2, he's, he's, he's already said pray for leaders, and then he says that we may live a peaceful and quiet life. That we would live a peaceful and quiet life. This is, we're praying, God, would you give our leaders wisdom so that we can live in such a, live in such a way that it's peaceful and quiet? Now again, just some clarity here. Paul's not saying, let's pray for our leaders so that we can live cushy, middle-class lives where we have no stress and it's perfect. The reason why we know that is you keep reading a little bit further through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're going to see where Paul's like, hey, and when you follow God, you're going to get persecuted. And when you claim the name of Christ, you're going to have sufferings. It's going to be difficult. And so when he says, let's pray for leaders so that we can live peaceful and quiet life, what I think he is pointing to is let's pray for our leaders that they have wisdom so that we can, can flourish in such a way that we spread the gospel. So that we have a, a freedom to, to let the gospel go forth from our mouths and in our lives and through our churches. Oh, we should even pause and thank God that we're in a nation right now where we're living this out. That we can proclaim the name of Christ freely. This is not true of every nation around the world right now. It's not. We should be praying, God, would you do this? Would you give our leaders wisdom? And as you give them wisdom, and as they lead well in our nation, it's going to open up doors. It's going to have avenues where the gospel can go forth because of the answer to that prayer. I mean, think about this. Rome at this time, though Paul would have disagreed with a lot of their policies and things in place, there was a time of peace that was going on for the most part. And they built roads where people could bring the gospel, and they started to... to clarify languages with Greco-Roman Greek and things like that, that they're writing in such a way that this education and help the gospel even get to us today. All of these things are because leaders were leading well in certain ways. And we pray, God, give our leaders wisdom 
so that the gospel can flourish. The ultimate finish line is not our peace and our comfort. It's the peace of our souls and the salvation going forth. So let's pray for wisdom. But he's also going to say, pray for their salvation. And we'll unpack this verse more in a second, but look down at verse 4. He's praying that all people would come to the knowledge of the truth. Come to the knowledge of the truth. We should be praying that our leaders, if they don't know Christ, that they would come to know the truth about Christ. We should be praying that what happened in the Old Testament in this book called Daniel would happen in our leaders' lives today. If you go back and you read through the book of Daniel, it's an amazing story. There's this king that's in place, Darius, and he is not a godly king. He's a wicked king. And he, he's so wicked, he sets up this idol, and he says, hey, you guys are going to worship this idol because this idol represents my kingdom. And so I'm the king, worship this idol. It's a representation of you worshiping, serving me. You do that. And then you fast forward a little bit. The people at that time that followed the Lord, that were faithful there, literally live in such a way that God uses them and changes this life of the king. You get to Daniel chapter 4, and you see this king used to condemn God, mock God, make fun of God. Then he proclaims in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, he says this. This is the, the former wicked ruler. Now he's praising God, saying, The dominion of the Most High is an everlasting dominion, and a kingdom that endures from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth, all the peoples, are counted as nothing and he does according to his will, for he is the host of the heavens. This is how he's describing and proclaiming the God in which he once rebelled against. All oh, that we would pray for our leaders. God, would you change lives of our leaders that look like this? You've done it before. I know you can do it again. Oh, we would pray in such a way. We would look at our leaders and instead of complaining about them all the time, we'd use an opportunity to pray for them. My daughter uh, celebrated her 11th birthday a couple months ago in March, and she has like a list of places she wants to go kind of visit and travel to. So I'm looking at this list, and I'm like, man, I'd like to take her to, to one of those places for her birthday this year. And as I look through this list, there's some places that I'm like, there's just no way that's going to happen, at least for a long time. <laughs> and I'm going through the list, and one is like Hawaii, <laughs> and one is Australia. And I'm like, okay, not now, not now, maybe later. And I get down the list far enough to where it says Washington, D.C., and I'm like, fantastic. We can drive there. Let's like sign up for that one. I'm going to highlight that, and that's what we're going to do for your birthday. And so a few months ago, we went on a tourist trip up there to D.C., visited the Capitol building, you know, went all the way down to Lincoln Memorial. Like We're looking at all these things. And what started as like a, a tourist trip, God is bringing this verse back to my mind, and it turned it honestly to a prayer walk. As we're walking through the Capitol building, and we're passing different offices of different senators, and just praying, God, would you give these people wisdom? If they don't know you, man, they believe and trust in you. And it crossed my mind as I'm walking the halls there at the Capitol building, like, what if, what if we exchanged our complaints about our leaders for prayers? And my mind just starts to wonder, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, it would change things drastically, like both corporately and personally. Corporately, if we turned all our complaints into prayers, our news stations would become prayer stations. You realize that, right? Like, it would be Fox Prayer Station. Just turn it on. 
CNN would change it to PNN, right? The Prayer News Network. Like we would just be praying for people all the time. But, but personally, it would change our prayers as well because, man, I don't know about you, but so many people, we bear this heart of anxiety over things that are going on in our nation and in our world, or we bear hearts of frustration or anger towards people. What if we released our anxiety and our frustration and we exchanged it with prayer? Like, all the peace that would come to our hearts and our souls if we would do that. And that's what God is inviting us into to pray to this and to pray for our leaders. And if you want to see the smile of God in your life, here it is. Here it is. If we pray in this, this sort of way, verse 3 tells us that it is good and pleasing in the sight of God. God is telling us right here, this is, this is good to me. When you pray for your leaders, when you pray for all people, when you pray for others, this is good to me. It is pleasing to me. So for some of you that feel only the frown of God, go to passages like this and know, no, God smiles on you. He smiles on you. And the only reason that we're able to pray like this is because we know that Christ prayed for those that persecuted and killed him. He prayed for his enemies. We look at this, and the only way we can do this is by looking to Christ. You remember what he did on the cross? He prayed and said, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those who are killing him, he's praying for. All that we would reflect Christ in that manner and that we would pray for others. So who do we pray for? We pray for all people. We have diverse prayers. We definitely are going to pray for our leaders if we don't know where to begin as we pray for all people. But this leaves us with the, the second question I mentioned to you guys. Why? Why do we pray for all these people? Like, what's the motivation that should wake us up and drive us to, to pray like this for others? Well, that's what you're going to find in verses 4 through 7. You're going to find that, that answer. You're going to find the things that motivate us to pray for others. Three motivators. First, why do we pray for all people? Because God's desire is for all people. God's desire is for the salvation of all people. Do you see that in verse 4? Who desires all people to be saved. This is the same all people that we talked about before that we pray for. The rich and the poor. The, 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 the elitist class and those that we would say are ranked lower maybe, right? All people. God desires for all nationalities to come to know him and to be saved. This is the desire of God. And knowing it's God's desire should fill our hearts to have this desire. Our hearts are motivated by God's passion for the world. For the world. And so we do pray. We pray for the rich. We pray for the poor. We pray for the Democrats. We pray for the Republicans. We pray for the people groups all around the world that don't know his great saving love. We pray for him. Now, I got to pause just for a second and have like a just a little theological discussion. This is kind of like a sidebar to the message. We'll get back to unpacking these different motivations for, for why we pray. But sometimes this passage is misused, misquoted. Some will come to this passage and say, well, it says God desires for all people to be saved. So, great, I don't have to do anything. I'm going to be saved. And everybody in the whole world is going to be saved, you know? It's a theological term of universalism. 
So it doesn't matter what religion or what belief you have or any of that kind of stuff, whether you're a good person or a bad person in the eyes of, of the, the culture, God desires for all to be saved, so every one of us are all going to heaven, which is just not true. Turn the pages of Scripture, and you'll see there's only one way that you can be saved. There's only one way that you can come to have hope and freedom for your soul, and it's Jesus Christ. And for those that use this verse to talk about universalism, it's, they're missing even the next verse down, right? We'll get to it here. But the next verse down is going to talk about there's only one God, and there's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. There is no other way that we can be saved. There's no other way. So this isn't teaching universalism. It's teaching what the heartbeat of God is, that he desires for all people to be saved. Now, some will hear this and say, well, then our God is a weak God. He, he, he must not be sovereign then, because if he desires for all people to be saved, but he's too weak to save all people, then he, then he must not be a sovereign God, which is not true either. I'm going to try to sum this up as quick as possible, but there's a difference between God's decreed will and God's desire. When you turn the pages of the Bible, you'll see God's desire and his decreed will at different points. God's desire, let's just go back to the Ten Commandments. God's desire for us is to be holy as he is holy. And so he's telling us things that we should not do. God's desire is that we wouldn't lie, that we wouldn't commit adultery, that we wouldn't take his name in vain. All these things are God's desire for us. And he even tells us, this is my desire that you would do and live in these ways. But we don't do it. We rebel against God's will and God's way. We run in opposition against him, commit treason against him. That's called sin. It's called sin. But God is not too weak to save. He's a sovereign God, and he knew, he knew that we were going to fail. He knew that we were going to sin. So much so, the scripture says that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. What does that mean? It means that Jesus knew before everything was created is that we were going to fail. We were going to fall short of God's glory. And the only way for us to be redeemed is that he would have to come and to bear that sin in our place to rescue us. In his sovereignty, he knew all things. He knew that we would all sin. He knows all that would believe in him and all that would trust in him. God knows those things in his sovereignty and in his omniscience. He knows these things. And in his sovereignty, he is ordained the way of salvation. In his sovereignty, he has put the plan in place before the foundation of the world on how we could be saved, and it is through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So, so let me get back to as simple as I can for this text. What is this text saying? It's simply saying that God loves all people and desires for their salvation. And this is not the only passage that talks about this in the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, God not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's desire. Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I desire that the wicked would turn from his way and live. He desires for the wicked to be saved. That's what he wants. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has a Appeared to bring salvation for all people. All people. This was life-changing to my conversion of coming to trust in Christ. 
I literally was asking the question, maybe none of y'all are, but I was asking the question, does God really want to save me? Like, I, I asked that question, does he really want to? And if you're asking that today, because you're thinking of your sin or your brokenness, does God really want to save me? You need to read these verses. Yes, God desires for all people to be saved. And when I understood that, that's what allowed me to take that step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ, the one who is the author and the finisher of my faith in his sovereign will. This is the goodness of God. This is God's goodness and greatness. So we look at this and we understand that God, this is a motivator, that God has a passion for all people. And so we pray for all people. We do. The second motivator for us to pray and to share the good news is because there's only one hope of salvation. There's only one hope of salvation. The reason why we have to share the gospel with other people, the reason why we have to pray for all people, is because there's only one hope. It says in verse 5 here, there is one God. One God. And thankfully, we know who that God is. And this whole thing of one God, this is theological term monotheism, that there's only one God. There's not a plethora of gods out there. There's only one. And this fuels mission. Monotheism fuels mission. Listen to me. There is not a God for Asia and not a God for Africa. And then there's a God for Europe and there's a God for South America. And they, if they worship whoever that God is, then they'll all get to heaven one day. That is not the truth. That's not reality. It says right here, there is only one God. And since we know there's one God, we take the gospel of that God to the people, to all peoples. That's why we pray for all peoples. This is God's desire for us. And for some of you right here, you might be thinking, okay, this is really hard on my heart right now. Like, this is rough. Like, there's got to be multiple ways, right? Like, all these other gods have to be the way to heaven, right? If you feel that way, if you were hoping and saying, I wish there was more than one way to get to heaven, then you know what? Your heart right now, how you feel is how Jesus felt the day before he went to the cross. If you remember, he's at the garden and he's praying, and he's praying for another way. He's praying to God the Father in heaven. He's saying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way for us to be saved, then let this cup of judgment and wrath for sin pass over me and on to somebody else. God, if there's any other way, if morality works, if other religions work, if all these other things work, then let it be one of those so I don't have to go and bear the sin and the shame on the cross. But we know what happens. God the Father is silent. Because there is no other way. There's no other way. And I'll be honest, I think if God gave us another way, we'd want another way. And another way. And another way. It wouldn't be sufficient. But God's word is telling us right here, there's only one God. And that one God is the one who brings salvation. Which is the third reason why we pray for all kinds of people. Because Christ died for all kinds of people. He offers rescue to all people. All people. Did you catch that? Verse 6, a ransom for all. A ransom for all. Christ gave himself on the cross, not just for the elitist. No, for any who would call upon the name of Jesus, they could be saved. This word ransom is a It's a really unique word. It's a really great word. It literally means to pay a price of release or rescue on the behalf of a prisoner. 
Jesus paid that price with himself. He paid the price. You see, the wages of sin is death. Death, physically and spiritually. And Christ paid that debt on the cross so that we could be forgiven. One commentator talks about it and says these two verses, verse 5 and 6, are the Bible as a whole in miniature. The gospel in its essence, that there is a one God, there is one God, and that one God has a heartbeat for all peoples. And that he has made one way for us to have a relationship with him through the mediator, Jesus Christ. We all know what a mediator is. It's somebody that goes in between two parties. And that's what Jesus does. We have a holy God, and we have a sinful man, and there's a major gap in between the two of them. And Jesus comes in as the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And I know the math doesn't work there. I'm just telling you this is what the Bible says, so that he can be the mediator for both. So he can come in and pay the debt that we as humans owed in order to give us the righteousness that God alone owns. He gives us that because he is the one mediator. Now, as we think and we pray for all people, and we pray for all people because we know that God's desire is for all people, and that his death concerns all people. It should lead us also, not just to pray, but to preach and to proclaim. See, Paul, the the writer of this, talks about, first of all, pray. Pray for others. Pray that they would know the truth of this gospel. But then in verse 7, look what it says. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. That is the nations. That is all people in faith and in truth. He doesn't just say pray and that's enough. No, he says pray and preach. Pray and proclaim. This is what he poured out his whole life for. Paul, the one that understood the sovereignty of God maybe far more than we ever could, the one who penned the the book of Romans and and wrote Romans chapter 8 about the sovereignty of God, says right here, I pray for the lost and also proclaim his good news to all people that they would believe in truth and in faith. You see, this applies to us as well. We're not an apostle in the same way that Paul was, but for every believer, every believer, we are called to pray for all people but also to proclaim the good news. And I think the first step is prayer. I think there's a reason Paul says, first pray. Because the more we pray for all kinds of people, the more we'll preach to all kinds of people. The more we realize that Christ died to rescue all types of people, the more we'll be compelled to live out what is ultimate, to preach the gospel, to share the good news for others, and to pray for others. Oh, church, this is God's call for us, that we would pray and we would proclaim. Pray with me now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have made a way. You have made a way through your Son. And Christ, we thank you that As you stood the night before the cross, you prayed, is there any other way for this cup to pass? When the answer was no, Lord, you were obedient to the Father's will. And you went to the cross in order that we could be saved. You were a ransom. You paid our debt of sin. And we praise you for that. But Lord, I also want to pray for the person in this room or online that has never trusted in the shed blood of Christ to forgive them of their sins. 
has never believed in the reality that there is only one way. It's Jesus Christ. There's one mediator, the only one that can bridge the gap between God and man. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for that, and we pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. We pray for those that, that are, are leaders for our nation, leaders around the world, that if they don't know you, they would come to know you. God, we pray for our, our leaders that they would have wisdom to, to lead in such a way that it would be peaceful and quiet, that we could continue to proclaim the good news of you. And Father, we thank you for the freedom that you've blessed us with now. God, that we can proclaim the goodness of the one God, the goodness of the mediator, the goodness of the one who is our ransom. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now and let's sing to our glorious King.